Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. Welcome back, Multifamily Mavericks. It is so good to have you with us again. I am your host today, Megan Greathouse, and uh, I hope you all are doing well and enjoying this transition into fall. We just here in St. Louis have finally had a couple of days that felt somewhat cool. It was exciting to go outside, take my kids out for some bike riding without um, having the summer sun beating down on us. And I always just feel like fall is such a nice transition time. You're getting into um, an exciting time of the year, a busy time of the year for sure. But I hope it's all going well for you guys out there. Today, I'm very excited to bring to you someone who I've actually known since I think 2009, uh, a fellow Marine Corps officer. We knew each other through my husband in the Marine Corps, actually. He and my husband worked together. Um, and it's, it's so funny. We ran into each other just, I mean, a handful of months ago, um, kind of virtually through these investor groups and forums and realized, hey, wait, we know each other. So it's so funny how these things happen and how small the world really is. Brian Briscoe is currently an active duty Marine. He is a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps and is actually less than a year out from retiring after 20 years in the Marine Corps. And in the past couple of years, he has actually gotten very heavily into multifamily investing. He started like many of us dabbling with single families and eventually decided it was time to think bigger. And so today's episode is chock full of great tips for thinking bigger, partnering, mentorship, how you really break into this game. Um, And I think you're gonna really enjoy it. So let's go listen to a guy who's gone from pretty much nothing to 250 units in two years with his partners. Let's welcome Brian. Before we get started, let's take this opportunity to get connected. You can find me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor. You can find Megan on Instagram at Part-Time Empire and our show on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks. We're also both on LinkedIn. And if you're a multifamily investor, a multifamily syndicator, a mom and pop owner, want to partner with us on a deal, or even have a deal you want to sell, get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Shoot us a message through Instagram or LinkedIn, and let's get to know each other. All right, welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mavericks. I am excited today to introduce you to Brian Briscoe, who, funny enough, about 10 years ago, I knew in person as a fellow Marine, we were both stationed at Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. He actually worked with my husband. Um, so kind of funny how small this world is. It is nice to be talking you to, to you today, Brian. Tell people a little bit about who you are. Hey, great, great to be talking to you too. You know, and you know, I, I remember seeing your name, you know, a couple months ago, you know, associated with something else. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I know her, <laughs> I remember her husband and everything, but yeah, it's, been great reconnecting and, and everything, but uh, yeah. So Brian Briscoe is my name, as you as you mentioned. Um, I, I grew up in Salt Lake City, you know, and I, I was a math nerd. You know, um, I had uh, aspirations to be a college professor. You know, went to graduate school, got a master's in math, and um, somewhere along the line, I, I joined the reserves. You know, and I thought, okay. Um, I looked at, you know, the big brain, you know, math professors at the university, and I thought, you know, I want their job, but 
you know, no offense to any math professors that may listen to this. I didn't want to be like them. You know, the, the group of math professors that, that I was around were um, largely socially awkward, you know, and I, I kind of thought if I, if I do what they did, I'm going to become like they are, you know, and um, that scared me. And I started looking at other options. The Marine Reserve uh, ended up being the, the option I took to kind of, you know, uh, make myself a more well-rounded person. And uh, um, enlisted in August of 2000 and, you know, September 11th, you know, and today's September 10th, we're almost on the, the 19th anniversary, but uh, um, I, I decided to go active duty, you know, for, for all the right reasons, I think. So um, went active duty and I, I've been active duty ever since. Didn't plan it that way at the beginning, but, you know, I'm, I'm over 19 years right now, um, total time in service. And, you know, so along, along the way, you know, I think, you know, as a young Marine, I was hearing other people talking about, you know, their real estate investing experiences. You know, some people who'd been in for 20 years and had gone to like five or six or eight duty stations and bought a house at every duty station. You know, I heard a couple of people talk about that. I'm like, you know what, that's, that's a good idea, you know? And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which really kind of turned the light on. And interestingly enough, um, I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and he talks about commercial real estate in there, you know, and that's when he's talking about real estate, he's talking commercial. He's not talking single family, but I remember thinking I can't do commercial. I mean, that's, that's kind of a bridge too far for me. I have no knowledge, no experience, no way of, I don't even know where to start, you know? And so I decided to do what everyone else did and just be the single family guy, you know? So, um, picked up a couple of single family houses, you know, every time we moved, we look at uh, trying to get another one. Um, but yeah, so that did that for several years and, um, then a series of deployments, you know, right, right about the time that, that I met you, I did, you know, back to back deployment and then, you know, overseas tour and then another deployment. Um, so the single family plan kind of got, you know, put on the, put on hold for a while and, you know, around 2016, you know, I, I recommitted to, to getting back into real estate, you know, so, um, Fortunately, in, in the, the couple of single family houses that I had, I had a good amount of equity. We had at least six figures equity in both houses. You know, so I had a little bit to play with. And I remember, um, you know, this was on another deployment. I remember being on a big Navy ship in the middle of a big body of water where you can't see land for miles and miles. But uh, uh, having a lot of I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to kind of plan and strategize. And I remember spreadsheeting, you know, okay, if I buy one house a year or if I buy two houses a year, how long is it going to take me to be financially independent, you know? And the answer was too long. You know, I don't remember mm -hmm. what the number was, but it was just too long. Okay. You know, what if I do three houses a year? Still too long. Um, and so I, I started thinking, well, you know, how can I, you know, how can I do this? How can I make this work? And I picked up a, a bigger pockets book. It was, it was probably like a 30 page book, but it talked about, you know, a, buying a 24 unit property and it just resonated, you know, light went on, you know, light bulb over the head cartoon moment, you know, all at once. And I remember looking, reading that and thinking, you know what, there's, there's a lot of economy of scale there. there there's a lot of things in that, that book that make absolute sense. You know, if I buy a 24 plex, you know, I can scale a lot faster and I can take this, you know, 20 year plan and dial it down to a 10 or maybe a five year plan. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's really what got me going was, you know, um, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel of my Marine Corps career. And, you know, at the same time, trying to figure out what's next and realizing that single family just, you, you can scale. I mean, I know a lot of people who've done very well at it, but, you know, once, once you get past 10, it's hard to get a loan and you got to get a lot more creative and think outside the box. Um, so basically dove into the, the multifamily with, with both feet. I started listening to podcasts, you know, um, you know, Rod Cleef podcast was one of them. Incidentally, um, I, I recorded, I'm going to be on his podcast. I recorded with him today too, which is like a awesome. huge win for me. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, Rod Cleef, Michael Blanc, you know, a lot of the, the big podcasters, Joe Fairless, um, you know, they, they were my, my commute every day, you know, so I'd get in the car, I'd get on my motorcycle, you know, headphones go in and, you know, podcast up, you know, so yeah. Um, bought some books on the subject, you know, I just made it, made a concerted effort to study and we started looking at, okay, where's our new next duty station, you know, started looking at the, at the markets there. And I was, I was planning on syndicating, but somewhere in my mind, I thought nobody's going to take me seriously if I don't have any a track record, you know? So I started looking at the six units and the eight units, you know, and, and, um, incidentally around Cherry Point, North Carolina, you know, things like that. Um, you know, and my, my wife's family was in, um, they're still in Idaho Falls. So I was looking at Idaho Falls, you know, my family's in the Salt Lake area. So I'm looking at these three different areas for, you know, six, eight, 12, you know, maybe up to 16 unit properties, you know, trying to tackle one of these by myself. And, um, I had just been transferred to the Pentagon. And I remember going to a big, you know, multifamily conference and retired Air Force officer, you know, put his hand on my shoulder, looked at me you know, after I told him what I was planning on doing. He just looked at me and said, you don't need to do a six or an eight. You know, you don't need to think small like that. He's like, think bigger. He's like, hmm. you can do it. He's like, there's no reason you can't go from your small single family portfolio to a hundred units. You know, and he, he pointed, he just pointed around the room. He's like, there's a lot of people here that are not as smart as you, that are not as talented as you, that are doing what you want to do. Like, just do it, you know? And that was one of those light bulb moments for me. It was just like, you know what? You're right. I can do it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, he also pointed out, and this, this I think is a key, is, you know, there's 600 people who want to do multifamily in this room. You're like, somebody here will partner with you. You know, somebody here will do it. So go. Um, you know, and he offered, he offered to partner with me in certain ways. And, um, you know, that, that was really, you know, another one of those aha moments, you know, the, another big light bulb moment in my life. But, uh, um, I ended up, uh, signing up for a mentoring program, um, you know, significant investment, but, you know, at, at the time I had three years until, you know, my, my retirement, you know, right now I'm 328 days away. Um, not that, not that you're counting. <laughs> no. Um, you know, but you know, I, I had, I had this timeline in my, in, in my head. I'm like, okay. And, and the reason I count down is because of this timeline, you know, three, mm -hmm. two years ago, I thought, okay, I want to replace my active duty salary by the time I retire, mm -hmm. you know, and that countdown is just to remind me every day. It's not because I hate the Marine Corps. 
It's to remind me every day that I have a goal and that goal is to replace my active duty salary in the next 328 days. Okay. So, you know, that, I hope people don't get the wrong reason. Or no, wrong of course, that. of course not. Yeah. We were just actually talking before we started hitting record yeah. about just, you know, the love we both had for the Marine Corps and the camaraderie and uh, yeah. some of the, I mean, frankly, the kind of fun things you get to do that you would never do in the civilian world. But that countdown, I think, is pretty powerful because it is keeping your, your timeline for your goals and giving you these time-bound goals that you are just laser focused on. So let's talk a little bit about kind of where you are on that journey. You mentioned mm -hmm. to me that you and your, your partners, um, your Four Oaks Capital collectively, right. you have four complexes already totaling 168 yep. units and you're getting ready uh -huh. to close on your fifth. Correct. And yeah. that's all happened in the last two years or year, less. Year and a half, two years. Yeah. yeah. So that, that first conference that I went to was, was two years ago next month, you know, so that, that all happened in a two year period, you know, um, and to kind of walk you through that, you know, I, I took, I took that guy at his, you know, his recommendation. I thought, okay, I need to start looking for partners, you know? And so I was simultaneously looking for three things. I was looking for partners. I was looking for deals and I was looking for people who wanted to invest, you know, and um, getting a mentor really helped me to be able to focus on the right things at the right time, you know? So um, throughout the whole time, I'm, you know, I, you know, there, there were times where I think my focus was on, you know, finding deals and um, other times I shift focus to, you know, more on, on a different, different avenue, but those three things were, were always on the forefront of my mind. Um, and then I, I met, uh, a guy named Eric Shirley, you know, um, we, we were in some of the same forums that, uh, that, that I was in and, uh, we realized that we were looking for our, our deal criteria was almost equal. You know, were looking for mm -hmm. the same size of apartments. You know, we were both looking in, in South Carolina and we realized we were talking to the same brokers. And then at one point we realized that we were actually getting ready to make an offer on the same property, you know? Oh, so, okay. yeah, it was one of those things where, um, we, we talked on the phone about it and we had talked on the phone a couple of times, but when we realized that we were chasing the same property, Eric just said, Hey, look, let's, let's not compete. You know, let's just cooperate. Let's share. Let's, you know, and I, I was looking for a partner and I knew I needed a partner. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You know, let's do this. And um, that was, you know, in my mind, the beginning of Four Oaks, you know, he, he had already partnered with, with a guy named Brian Mallon. So, you know, his idea of when Four Oaks began was a little earlier, but when I was introduced to, to, to him, um, that, that's where the Four Oaks concept to me began, you know, and there were three of us at the time, me, Eric, and, and Brian, we kept on looking for apartments. You know, we were, we were, we were always on the hunt for apartments. We were hunting for money. Um, we had the partnership thing, you know, shored up for the most part. And, you know, Eric would talk to a couple of brokers, you know, there, there were a couple of brokers that we, we had in common and a couple of brokers that, you know, I was talking to that he wasn't and vice versa. Um, but I remember, you know, he'd find a property, we'd underwrite it, put an offer in, I'd find a property, we'd underwrite and, and uh, you know, put an offer in. And it happened to be one of them that I found that we got the, um, the first contract on, you know, so at one point, the three of us sat down and we, we kind of took stock, you know, it was a $4 million purchase price. We had to re raise somewhere between one and $2 million. And we, we sat down, did a realistic estimate of what we thought we could do. And we said, we need help. We need, you know, 
maybe one more person to help us raise money for this deal. And, you know, Eric said, Hey, I know a guy, you know, I, I know a guy named Todd, I think he'd be perfect for this. And, you know, turned out, turns out that uh, the four of us, you know, a couple months later after working together, um, realizing that we worked well together, we liked each other, we were all going in the same direction. You know, we formed Forks Capital, you know, and that, uh, you know, one deal led to a second deal, led to a third deal, led to a fourth deal, and now a fifth. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think partner, the partnership is key. You've got you to be able to find the right people. And not just find the right people, you've got to be the right person for the other people too. Yeah. And that's, I think that's huge. And it's something that probably many of us who have started in small multifamily or single family, and you can do a good number of those deals on your own. You have Mm -hmm. to change your mindset just a little bit to go bigger. And part of that is changing your mindset around partnerships and what you do and what you don't do anymore. Because so many of us kind of hold on to doing everything when you're just looking at, you know, duplexes and four families. So is there anything that you can share with our listeners, a a mindset shift for you, or maybe some uh, tactics that you and your partners used to effectively divide and conquer as this new team? Yeah. Um, You know, some of the mindset shifts, you know, I've gone over like the really big ones, but, you know, inside the partnership, um, on that first deal, I was extremely selfish, you know, and I mean, I, I think for the right reasons, I didn't know these guys very well yet, you know, and, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that, that I was, I was doing my part, you know, so um, I, I basically there said, hey, what, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? I'm like, yeah, just find money, you know, just, just, just raise capital, raise capital. Um, and, and one of the shifts that I had to make was, you know, first of all, I had, to, I had to get to trust these guys and over, over several weeks and months, you know, that, that trust grew to the point to where I was okay, you know, handing off some of those tasks. You know, I, I remember, I really enjoy the underwriting. I enjoy talking to brokers. I enjoy the hunt, you know, for, for the deal, you know, and maybe, maybe that's part of the Marine in me, you know, the, the, the hunter that, that we are, um, <laughs> I remember Eric approached me once and says, Hey, you know, going forward, I think I should be the acquisitions guy, you know? And I was, I was screaming on the inside, like, no, no, no. I want, that's, that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I enjoy. Um, but he pointed something out to me, you know, he's, he's a medical device salesman for his W2 and his coverage area is the Carolinas, you know? So he was traveling all over the Carolinas, you know, on a daily basis for his day job, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm stuck in the Pentagon, you know, I walk into the Pentagon, my phone goes in a box, you know, and, you know, as far as the rest of the world's concerned, you know, I'm, I'm basically six, eight, nine hours a day. You can't really contact me. So, you know, that was, that was one of the things that I really had had a hard time letting go of was, was the fact that, you know, that was the role that I had envisioned myself doing. And, you know, he, he made a good case and I realized, you know, I, I he was right. He was absolutely right. Um, we had a similar skill set as far as underwriting, but because of his time, because of his, um, you know, the, the unique things that he brought to the table, it made sense to make him our acquisitions manager. Yeah. You know, and he's doing a phenomenal job as acquisitions manager. He's, he's kept something, um, except for a, a very brief period, we've had something under contract 
you know, essentially from that very first deal on, we've had something under contract. Which is um, awesome because I think so many people right now are finding it difficult to find yeah. deals and keep the deals flowing. So that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up breaking out. So Eric ended up being overseeing yeah, acquisitions and, and acquisitions. how do you break it out between the rest of you? Um, you know, and here's, here's the next transition we had is I started doing asset management, you know, so at the time it was two properties and I, I was the person who underwrote those two properties, did the contracting, did, you know, the lion's share of the load, you know, once again, selfishly, um, did the lion's share of the load. So when it came time to, to divide and conquer, it made sense for me to become the asset manager because I knew those properties backwards and forwards. Um, then COVID hit. And, you know, my boss says, hey, congratulations, you're going to be on the Marine Corps crisis action team. I'm like, great, <laughs> what's that, you know? Um, and my schedule changed. And I ended up doing, you know, shift work 12 on, 12 off. And, you know, it didn't take very long for us to say, this isn't working, you know? So, um, so we, we had to flex again. And, you know, Todd took, Todd and Brian took on the, the asset management role. You know, so, you know, and right now it's, you know, mainly Todd supported it very heavily by Brian, but it's, it's, it's Todd's main role. Um, and then we started looking at, okay, with, with my time schedule, what could I still do? And so we started a podcast, you know, we, we had intended on starting a podcast. So I ended up focusing on a lot of the social media, you know, bigger pockets, you know, LinkedIn. Um, I used to do a lot, a lot more on Facebook and I've kind of petered out a little bit on that one. And, and the podcast. So, so I ended up looking, becoming the director of content and, and marketing um, and taking on that role because a lot of the stuff that I was doing, I can write content any time, you know, any time of the day, you know, so when I was, you know, working nights at the Pentagon, you know, um, you know, fortunately I could sit at my computer when things were, were quiet and, you know, start typing up, you know, an article or a blog or, or whatever. So, um, so we've had a lot of shifts in, in duties and that that's where we sit right now. And, um, I haven't mentioned Brian, Brian Mellon, he, he does our website. Um, he does our, our investor portal. He makes sure that emails go out on time, make sure bills get paid on time. You know, he, he's doing a lot of the internal stuff. That's not sexy that absolutely mm -hmm. needs to be done, you know, but so, um, so that, that's, that's his role in the company. And anyway, um, end of the day, I, I think the next big shift we'll have is when I retire, you know, because I'll have a lot more time to dedicate to the company and, you know, we'll, we'll have to, you know, figure out what my new role is after that or, or how that, you know, how that evolves. Yeah. Um, but it's great that you guys have the flexibility and you, you stay on top of these discussions so that you know mm -hmm. how you need to keep, get things rolling and keep them rolling. And it, it's kind of ever evolving. Um, yeah. One quick question. Are you guys all geographically located fairly close to each other or are you spread out? Uh, you know, if you call the East Coast close, yeah, we're close. Um, <laughs> so uh, Eric and Todd are both in the Carolinas. Um, they probably live, it's probably an hour and a half drive from um, one house to the other. Um, I'm in DC and Brian Mellon for the time being is in, in New Jersey, you know, uh, so um, not super close, but I mean, I can get on a plane and be in South Carolina in 90 minutes. You know, so, sure. 
Wow. Yeah. And how, how has that worked out so far in terms of, I mean, how often are you guys getting together? How often are you going to physically see some of these, these complexes? It's great that you have the partnership because you don't always need to be the eyes on, but I imagine that you're doing plenty of eyes on as well. Yeah. So pre COVID, you know, uh, for, for due diligence, you know, if we could all converge on a property, we would. You know, and there, there were a couple of times, you know, during a due diligence period where the four of us would be together. And um, I would say that I was in South Carolina. Once we got the first unit under, under contract, um, I was in the Carolinas about every other month, you yeah. know, and it wasn't always all four of us. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes it was me meeting Eric somewhere. Sometimes it was me meeting Todd somewhere. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, Eric and Todd would, you know, they, they live in the Carolinas, so it was a lot easier for them. You know, Eric and Todd or Eric and Brian would, would do stuff. So, you know, between the four of us, you know, we, we were down there frequently. And, and then COVID, COVID kind of, it really changed it for me because, um, you know, Department of Defense came out and said, hey, everybody in the military, you're not going anywhere. Okay. You, you can't leave your local area. Um, and that changed, kind of changed how, how we did business a lot. So, um, I wasn't able to travel for due diligence on the, on the property we have under contract, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and it turns out that my partners really didn't need me down there. You know, I, I wanted to be down there. Um, but you know, Eric is the acquisitions guy. And I think, I think COVID actually helped in a lot of ways because it helped me to let go of parts of the job that I don't need to keep my fingers in, you know? Um, and it kind of forced me to, you know, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit of a control freak, but it, it forced me to, you know, rely on those partners that are doing amazing jobs and, you know, not have to, you know, be there and do it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, with that in mind, it sounds like you have a strong partnership going. And, and I think that's something that, you know, we're several episodes into multifamily Mavericks. And I don't think we've talked to anyone who hasn't talked about teaming up, partnering, the importance of doing that, the fact that multifamily is a team sport, if you will. Um, So you guys are going, you're going strong. I mean, in less than two years, you are, you're getting ready to close on your fifth complex. Tell us a little bit about maybe some of the the criteria. What is it that you're looking for? Do you have a certain Mm -hmm. niche um, other than, you know, complexes in the Carolinas? Give us a little bit of that background. Yeah. So, um, our deal criteria, you know, we, we look at stuff that we can confidently close. I think that's, that's kind of the responsible thing to do. You know, we, you don't want to make a name for yourself putting offers in on apartment buildings that you can't, or apartment complexes that you can't close on, mm-hmm. you know? So at first, you know, our deal criteria, and it really still is, is, you know, how much money do we think we can raise? And, you know, we kind of backwards plan for our deal criteria, which I, I think a lot of people have to do. And, I think in most areas, you know, if you're talking about people getting into the apartment investing market, there's kind of a, a dead space, you know, and that dead space is somewhere, you know, depending on your market, maybe 20 units, maybe, you know, 40 units. Um, but it's, it's where the mom and pops, you know, are priced out and it's not quite to the point where the big boys play your, your institutional guys or the syndicators who've been doing it for a long time. So you know, at first we were in that, that dead zone spot where, you know, it's something we could close on, um, you know, and in, in the Carolinas, you know, that, that, that starts somewhere around the 30 unit mark, you know, but, uh, 
Um, but yeah, right now our criteria, we look for value add, we look for C class, B class properties, you know, that, that have a value add component, you know, and typically uh, that includes a light renovation, you know, you're coming in, you know, new flooring, you know, new counters, cabinets, um, you know, maybe a facelift on the exterior, some landscaping, you know, things like that. Somewhere, something where you can come in, make the place look nicer and raise rents, you know, and if there's some inefficiencies in the current management, you know, that's even better for us because we, we've got some really good property managers and, you know, my, my partner's an amazing asset manager. So, you know, we, we can come in and make that more efficient. Um, and I, that ends up getting, I think, safer and more reliable returns in, in the long run because you, you, can, you can control the appreciation, you can force the appreciation um, by, by making those, those upgrades and raising the rents. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned your property management. This is another thing that I think mm-hmm. is very different versus the single family or one to four family space. You hear a lot of griping in the one to four yeah. family space about property managers, um, but it's going to be a slightly different animal when you're getting to some of these management companies that deal with these larger complexes. What have you seen in terms of the differences? Are there are there different things that you look for? Do you just feel mm-hmm. like generally it's a different class of management? It's definitely a different class of management. And, you know, having been there on the single family, um, I think people should stop griping about it because <laughs> if you have one single family home and you're paying eight, nine or 10%, I mean, you're basically paying that property manager, you know, 80 to 120 bucks a month, you know? And um, anyway, um, I'll get off my soapbox. Maybe, maybe maybe I'll be on a soapbox for a little longer. But I mean, I just say, you know, turn around and look, what would you do for a hundred dollars a month? You know, I, I think I think a lot of times, you know, the the people who own the single family or the duplex have unrealistic expectations of what a property management will do for somebody who is only paying them a hundred dollars a month. Um, but you know, once once you get into the bigger you know, there, there's also that little dead zone, you know, um, there's a lot of property managers who look at those single families, the duplexes and the quads, and that's their bread and butter. You know, that's, that's what they do. And um, on the flip side, you have other, you know, big institutional size property management companies that they only do the stuff where there's on-site management, you know, so, um, you know, a little, little different on, on what the, what the play is. So, you know, if, if you're in that middle ground again, you know, you got to find somebody who can, who can handle the, the middle ground, you know, and um, we, we've actually had, you know, three different property managers, you know, um, four different property managers now. Um, and we're, we're consolidating with, with one on, on most of our properties, you know, so, um, you know, a couple of them just quite didn't quite, you know, work out like we wanted them to, but, the property management's key. You know, I, I think one thing you have to look for is, is the, the property manager has to have their systems in place. You know, we, we ended up parting with one property management company because, you know, they, they were not good at handling leads. You know, a lead would come in and they were just very inconsistent with, you know, calling them back, you know, and um, when, when one of our units stayed vacant for two, three months, you know, we started asking more detailed questions, you know, um, and 
So I, I would say you need to make sure they have their systems set up. They have a tracking system for leads. You know, this company was, was kind of new to the game and they, they didn't have a tracking system for leads. You know, it was, you know, you ask them, okay, so when, when a lead comes in, what do you do? Well, you know, if I get it, I do this. If she gets it, she handles them a little differently. And if he's the first one to get it, this is how he responds. You know, it's just like, wait a sec. You know, and then who's responsible for following up? Well, you know, if I get it, I'll try to follow up. Sometimes he follows up for me. You know, it's just like, no, no. So I, I think the systems are, are absolutely key. Um, and then you also need a property management company that can, that, you know, your, your size properties in, in their wheelhouse, you know? So if you've got, you know, a 50 unit apartment building and your property management company doesn't, doesn't operate on anything that's over 10 units, you probably need to keep looking, you know? So I, I think those are the two keys. Find somebody who, who is in the niche that you're in and can, can handle that and, has a system set up to be able to handle it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that those systems are a huge thing for me personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've certainly worked with some property management on the smaller side of things where the systems just weren't there. And like you said, you'd end up with these painfully long vacancies just because they didn't have a good process for getting through leads, getting a showing done and getting someone in quickly. And yeah. vacancy is obviously can be a big killer, especially when you're on the smaller side. Um, so that's great. I think that's understand the niche that they're in and, yep. and whether or not it fits your, your buildings or your complexes and make sure they have solid systems in place. I think those are perfect keys for people looking for property management. So yep. it sounds like you've got, you've got something good in place there. What are the sizes of your complexes right now? Uh, smallest one is 16, largest is 80. You know, the, the one we'll close on at the end of the month is uh, an 82. You know, so um, and then in between those amounts, we've got a 33 and a 39. Um, got it. You know, so we, we started with the smaller ones. You know, the last one we closed on, eight, the, like I said, the last two have been right around the 80 mark. And, you know, we're, we're looking at getting into the triple digit marks on the next acquisition and trying to stay in that, that kind of triple digit space for a while. Um, you know, and I think as, as new, a newer company, you know, it was, it was a little easier. There's a little less competition, like I mentioned before, on those, those smaller ones, even on the 80 unit, you know. Um, in South Carolina, you know, where we're operating, it usually takes, you know, 100 to 120 to really afford that on-site management, you know. And so a lot of the institutional players are looking in, you know, 120 pluses. So um, that's where we want to get to next, you know, but right now we're, you know, two, two eighties in a row, which, you know, is, is, they're still good numbers, still good properties. Absolutely. Um, you know, but you started, be a lot bigger. yeah, but you started with that, that 16 was the first one I, you said the, yeah, the first one was actually a portfolio. It was the 16 and the 39 together. Got know, it. So, and um, that I would assume was a, I mean, probably like you were saying earlier, mm -hmm. fit your criteria in terms of what you thought you could raise for something yeah. starting out being new to the space. Yeah. And I imagine that was also kind of what could fit in terms of what brokers would be willing to send you guys early on. I mean, did, did you have a bit of an uphill battle getting some of these leads from some of the brokers? Did you have some of your partners within oh. Four Oaks who had more experience to help with that? Tell us a little bit about that you process because it's so networking heavy. It was a huge uphill battle. And, you know, once again, I think, I think the same analogy I gave with the, the property manager and the single family, you need to put yourself in that broker's shoes for a second, you know, 
um, a broker gets paid by commission, you know, so they want to do the least amount of work possible to sell a property, you know, so they are going to work with the people that they know can close, you know, I think the last thing any broker wants is for, you know, a beginner to, to tie something up under contract for 60 or 90 days and then not close because the broker doesn't get paid, you know, so you, you've got to really look and, and become a viable buyer. And it took me, you know, several months in the process. Like I said, I started in the beginning, you know, from single family trying to get into this, you know, 50 unit space. Um, I was looking for partners. I was looking for deals. And I was looking for money. And at the very beginning, I was not a viable buyer. And as I learned and as I got more experience and as I, I kept on, you know, pushing forward, you know, um, I was able to talk the talk better. I was able to, you know, um, have things plan, you know, made more contacts. I had property managers that I, I could pick up the phone and call, you know, um, SEC attorney. I had a couple of lenders, you know, on, on standby, you know, I think, um, I think it, it took, took a long time for me to get to the point to where I was a viable buyer. And prior to that point, most brokers didn't want to waste time with me, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's just a fact that everybody's got to go through is if you're not a viable buyer, you know, those brokers, you know, they make a living trying to sniff, you know, the, the viable, viable buyer, sniff the viable buyers out. So, um, yep. yeah, it was, it was definitely an uphill battle. Um, you know, and I, I've got a lot of brokers that, you know, just never returned phone calls, never answered emails, you know, um, a couple of them who flat out just told me, Hey, look, you know, get something under your belt, call me back, you know? Yeah. Um, so and I, I like that you're sharing that because that's the reality, right? And there's yeah. nothing I would say suggests that there's nothing wrong about it. It's just yeah. part of kind of getting spun up in this business, in this industry. And, uh, you know, you obviously did things that helped along the way. You made a lot of connections. You had some options lined up for lending and for property management. You started um, pooling your talent with other talents to try to make it a stronger case for you guys as well. So, and you also mentioned early your mentorship program. And I think this one's mm -hmm. an interesting one because there are so many different perspectives and opinions on mentorship programs. Tell us maybe a little bit about, you know, what about it really worked for you? Were there things that didn't work? Do you think it's something everyone should consider or is it for certain personality types? I think it's for a certain person, you know, in, inside of Four Oaks, um, you know, two of us did mentorship programs, two of us didn't, you know, and, you know, I was one that did, you know, so uh, for me, I think it helped accelerate the, the learning curve is what it did, you know, and um, it also gave me a little confidence and it was something that, you know, when I called brokers up, honestly, I would just say, hey, I've got a mentor who has done this amount. And I'd be honest with some of the brokers. I'm like, look, yeah, I haven't done anything, but, you know, I paid a lot of freaking money for a mentor who is going to look over my shoulder, who's going to help me through the process, who's going to make sure that I'm going to be able to close on this deal. You know, and I, I think for me, that was, that was the big key was being able to rely on my mentor's experience, you know, and um, in, in multiple ways, you know, so relying on his experience in the underwriting process, you know, I'd do my underwriting, I'd pass in the spreadsheet and he'd give me feedback and be like, yeah, you know, this number is going to be really higher than what you have here. This number is going to be this, you know, and my mentor was also very active in the Carolinas. Um, 
he was in a different tier. You know, I was chasing seven figure properties. He's chasing eight figure properties, but you know, we, we were actually talking to the same brokers, you know, and just, you know, fortunately we were not competing because, you know, we couldn't quite touch those, you know, $10 million plus deals. But uh, um, yeah, I was, I was able to definitely leverage his experience, you know, um, could I have done it without a, a mentor? Yes. It probably would have taken longer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe that first deal might not have been as big, you know, so I, I think that uh, it's definitely helpful. Um, and there's, 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 there's something that you need to put yourself around other people who are doing it, you know, whether it's paid mentorship, you know, or you're in, you know, a, a real estate investing club or whether, you know, you're in one of the, the masterminds, you know, I, I hate using that term for what people are calling masterminds now, but that's what they're calling it. But uh, I, I guess in my mind, the masterminds, you know, a much, much higher level, but, you know, find, find a group that you can, you can associate with and you can learn from. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of the benefits of mentoring can come from that support group. Um, if you find an experienced partner that, um, that you can leverage, you know, that, that also is going to cover down on a lot of the things that, uh, that you'd need as a, as a new investor, you know? So, you know, for example, the, the retired air force officer that I talked about that, you know, helped me have that light bulb moment. He actually told me, he's like, Hey, look, here's our deal criteria. If you find something and can, you know, get it under contract, he's like, we will absolutely partner with you. We'll bring the money to the table. We'll be able to get the loan, everything else. And, you know, we'll walk you through the whole process, you know, so find someone like that. And it, it depends on your personality and what you want, you know, um, most mentorship programs are 20, 30, $40,000. Um, you know, hustle is free. So, <laughs> you know, right. Different yep. strokes, I think work for different people. Absolutely. And I think that's a great perspective to take on it. And it is probably very personality driven. Um, but you bring up some interesting points too, whether it's a formal mentorship program or just a mentor that you eventually meet through networking and connecting with people who are investing in your area. A mentor can kind of help lend a little credibility to what you're doing. I mean, the fact that you could say, hey, I, I'm working with this guy who has this many units mm -hmm. or this many complexes or whatever the um, kind of metric was that you were sharing with those brokers. I'm sure that changed some broker's mind from thinking I'm going to hang up now to, okay, I'll listen a little bit longer. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think in, in a lot of cases it was, I'll listen a little bit longer, you know, up front. And then as I got more practice and, and was able to answer the questions better, you know, some brokers, it's literally like playing 20 questions, you know, it's just like, they, they are trying to vet you. They are trying to determine how much time they want to spend with you, you know? And if you begin the phone call saying, Hey, you know, my name is Brian. I'm with four Oaks capital. We've got 250 units in upstate South Carolina. We're looking to expand, you know, that goes ding, pretty ding, far. Ding. <laughs> they're going to talk with you. Okay. Right. If, if you pick up the phone and say, Hey, my name is Brian. Um, I'm trying to get into apartment investing and I'd really like to see what you guys have, you know, Yep. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not going to get very far. And I think my first conversations were very much, Hey, my name's Brian. I don't have a company yet. You know, I got a Gmail address and, um, I'm really smart though. I promise, you know, <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I think, I think the brokers and I'm, you know, I'm oversimplifying it, but I think the brokers are, are really quickly able to sniff that out. Yep. No. And it makes sense. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier on in this podcast that there were some people around you who inspired you to think bigger. You don't have mm-hmm. to do a bunch of single family and then maybe some four family and then eventually a 10 unit. And then, but there is still a little bit of a stack in there because mm-hmm. going from, you know, a couple single families to a 30 or 80 or hundred unit complex is going to be difficult because of this broker discussion that we're having right now. Yeah. And so having just a little bit, you don't have to linger in that 20 unit space for a long time, but getting one under your belt can be an enormous stepping stone for your yeah. business. I mean, you did 16, some, a couple in the thirties and then went, to eighties from there, you more than doubled the size of the complexes you were buying because Mm -hmm. you got some of those under your belt. So I think that's a great conversation to have. People are always talking about, do you just go big or go home or do you kind of build and stack along the way? And maybe it's something a little more in between for a lot of us. Um, I think it's a a preference thing is is what it is, you know? Um, Yeah, I think you're right. I think if if you're trying to get into the bigger stuff, there's two directions to go. I I know people who who tackled, you know, 120, 150 unit complexes on their first deal, um, you know, and it worked for them. Yeah. Um, Our our first one was 55, which is still, you know, respectable. Um, But, you know, it it depends on, you know, what your assets are, which, you know, and what your, you know, uh, what your goals are at the end of the day. And, you know, I, I think going from a bunch of single family homes to a 20, to a 40, to a 60, you know, is easier from, from one perspective because you, you know, it, it's a lot easier to get a broker to try to you know, sell you a 20 unit than it is a, an 80 or 100 unit. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Well, it sounds like what you guys have been doing is more than respectable. You guys are out there mm-hmm. killing it in just a couple of years. You've built to going on 250 units after this yeah. next closing, right? So congratulations. That is so exciting to hear. It's exciting to hear how a combination of partnership, mentorship, and hustle can drive you that far that fast. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of us out here who are in the, the one to four family space, and we're excited to see someone like you doing things like this and thinking about where we could be in two years. So, you know, we're going to start bringing this to a close. I do have a question for you that we're asking mm-hmm. every guest on every podcast episode. Um, and we don't give anyone a heads up about this. So we're just going to throw it at you and see what you think here. Here I go. All right. So if I were to write you a $10 million Mm -hmm. check today and Mm -hmm. say, Brian, you may have this check and do with it what you will, as long as you no longer invest in real estate, you can sell what you currently have and, and take whatever equity you've gotten that, but you can't buy more real estate with the money. You can't continue this real estate journey that you've started. Would you Mm -hmm. take the check? Or would you stay with the real estate? Oh, geez. 10 million? 10 million. You know, I, I think even the stock market, with, with a $10 million start, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of the stock market, but I, I think with $10 million, you know, you can, you can do pretty well, you know, outside of real estate. I, I would take the check. There you go. Yeah. If it was a million dollar check, you know, the answer is probably not. But I think with 10 million, and a military retirement, you know, I, I could stick, stick that in a you know bond, low yield bond index fund and not work again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear everyone's, I, I think I haven't kept a, a formal tally, but I think we've been fairly 50-50 on this one so far. It's always mm-hmm. interesting to hear people's perspectives 
because at the end of the day, real estate and investing is a tool to create the life that you truly want, right? Yeah. So thank you for that. Before we go, Brian, it sounds like you and the rest of your partners at Four Oaks Capital as a whole do a lot of networking, put out a lot of content. Where can people find out more about you, Brian, and about Four Oaks mm -hmm. Capital? Uh, the website is fouroakscapital.com. You know, that, that's pretty simple. Um, you know, we've got a podcast, you know, if, if you want to find out more about me, I'm, I'm giving little, little tips and tools, you know, tricks every day. Um, Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. And you can also do that on the Four Oaks Capital website um, or any, you know, major um, podcast directory or app. Um, and then my email, you know, brianbrisco at fouroakscapital.com. You know, really, really simple. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much. It's, like I said, really exciting to see what you and your partners have done in just a couple short years. I cannot see, wait to see where you are in the 300 and some odd days when you're actually leaving the Marine Corps and going at this wow. full time. And uh, we'll probably have to have you come back after that point when you've made that transition. I'd love to see where it goes after that. That'll be fun. You know, anytime I get to talk to, you know, a, a friend in Marine, you know, the Marine Corps and a friend in real estate together, you know, is, is a great day. So absolutely. This has been it. fun for sure. Thank you, Brian, and have a great day. Right, thanks a ton, Megan. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part-Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.